This week, Seth Brumby, Deputy Managing Editor of Municipals at Reorg, speaks with Michael Gibbons, Managing Director of Municipal Trading and Strategy at Conning Asset Management, about the state of the municipal bond market, and they touch on topics such as the unusual municipal term curve inversion and how recent banking turmoil could affect the pricing of municipals. Hello and welcome to the Reorg Primary Review, where we cover the latest developments in high yield, distressed debt, and bankruptcy, and feature discussions on issues affecting distressed debt, leveraged finance, direct lending, high yield bonds, high yield municipals, covenants, private credit, and middle market companies. I'm David Zupkis. In our weekly review coverage, First Republic, Lanet, Packer Sanitation Services, Securus Technologies, and Roden Fields, I Potential Restructurings, Bed Bath & Beyond files for Chapter 11, Appointment of Official Creditors Committee in the National City Media Case Triggers Death Trap for Unsecured Creditors, and AT&T Cumulus Media Report Earnings. And as always, a preview of what's coming next week. It's Monday, April 30th. Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Reorg Primary Review. My name is Seth Brumby. I'm Deputy Managing Editor of Municipals at Reorg. Joining me today is Michael Gibbons, Managing Director of Municipal Trading and Strategy at Conning Asset Management. Good morning, Michael. How are you today? I'm good, Seth. Good morning to you. Um, We've been talking over the past few weeks about the municipal market and in particular taxable bonds. Um, But what I want to do first is just kind of give um, a little bit of an explanation of something that we've seen recently for both the municipal market and the treasury market. And that's a term curve inversion. And I just wanted to get a sense of where we are with that, because that's really was the story of the first quarter. Um, Can you talk a little bit about near-term debt versus long-term debt for both municipals and treasuries? Sure. As you know, the curve is inverted for treasuries, and it's rather unusual that we do see an inversion in the municipal curve as well, but we have had that. Um, If you look at the one-year AAA scale, it's a 285, and really you got to go out to almost 15 years in order to get a similar yield. So certainly the front end has become attractive for tax exempt buyers. Gotcha. And is the same uh, the case for taxable buyers? Uh, The front end of the curve with the treasuries being higher is interesting for taxable buyers. Uh, So you could get additional spread in the front end of the curve compared to the longer end of the curve or additional yield. Okay. Um, This inversion, normally we see it as a result of some kind of disruption or a a negative credit outlook. Um, Can we tie this to the banking disruption that we saw in the first quarter? Well, I think it has more to do with what the Fed's been up to and what the state of the economy is rather than the uh, the bank disruption. Okay. Um, as we go into the second quarter, though, we do know that this bank disruption is, is really playing itself out. There's, um, I think we're going to start seeing some liquidation of municipal portfolios. Can you talk a little bit about that process and maybe how it might affect pricing and trading? Yeah, the FDIC came out with a list of securities that uh, the bank's signature bank and Silicon Valley Bank will be liquidating, uh, the majority of which is in the tax exempt space. Um, You know, the statistics I have from the FDIC is about 7.2 billion total, of which 6.7 billion of that is in tax exempts. Um, And it is interesting because it has a fair amount of lower coupon bonds. So uh, once this liquidation starts in whatever way, shape, or form, we could see a little bit of repricing in the coupon curve here in tax exempts. Okay. So is there some apprehension right now on behalf of taxable buyers? For example, if they see a new deal come into the market, 
Is there a concern there that the liquidation of these portfolios could affect that pricing? Not in the taxable space. I mean, it, the statistics again from the FDIC is roughly three hundred or four hundred and thirty million or so, mm-hmm. um, which, given the lack of issuance that we've had this year, the amount of demand that we still have in place, I don't think that will be uh, a disruption in the taxable space. Yeah, you know, as you point out, um, volume has been really low for for taxable debt right now. Do you see that outlook changing as we move into the second quarter and whether or not maybe as the banking disruption recedes in the rearview mirror that we might see some more uh, taxable offerings? Uh, I don't think so. I think taxable issuance is going to be down considerable from last year and certainly the year prior. Okay. Um, I guess in just setting up the reason why a lot of people um, move into taxable and, and maybe even tax exempt market is clearly relative value um, with corporations and treasuries too. Can you talk a little bit about the relative value between uh, taxable corporates and municipal bonds? Sure. So when you look at the U.S. long credit index and the U.S. ag corporate index compared to the Bloomberg taxable muni index, the spread relationship is negative for buying tax munis. When you take into consideration the uh, credit quality of taxable munis versus the corporate indices, you're certainly getting a higher quality asset at spreads that are comparable to corporate bonds. So just unpacking that a little bit, Michael, when we look at the negative basis between the two, if it is deeply negative, for example, 100 basis points, what does that tell us? Does that tell us that uh, municipals are by, or is it that the um, that they're expensive relative to taxable corporates? Well, the negative for taxable munis would be that they are expensive compared to corporate bonds. Okay, great. And as we get closer to zero, that's when municipals become more attractive relative to corporates. Yes. Okay. And again, if you take into consideration, again, index to index, take into consideration the higher quality of taxable munis, uh, that spread relationship is actually less negative than it is now. Understood. So we're talking, you know, double A maybe for a lot of the taxable munis um, versus a triple B for corporates. Correct. Gotcha. All right. So just uh, do, do you have any um, rough numbers for where we are in, in territory and where the trend has been? I understand that we started off the year um, roughly around negative 60 basis points. Where are we now? Yeah, right now, in looking at the uh, U.S. long credit versus taxable winnies, it's about negative 40 basis points. Okay, so we are creeping closer to zero then. Yeah, but in the uh, the past year, that tightest that spread relationship has been has been negative 65 basis points. Okay, all right. So we see the opportunity here. Um, just out of curiosity, what do you see in terms of outlook just in general for the municipal market as we head into the area? I mean, outflows have been lighter than they were this time last year, although we did see a pretty heavy week of outflows last week. Um, I don't know if that was maybe technically driven due to the seasonality of tax season, um, but if you could just talk about what you see in your desk going into the next couple of quarters. Sure. Um, as you said, I do think it was seasonality with that large increase, uh, you know, centered around tax time. Uh, it's not unusual to see some selling to, for uh, folks to pay their tax liabilities. I think as we enter the second quarter, the technicals are going to remain strong for both taxables and tax exempts. You know, issuance has been down uh, so far this year compared to last year, and the expectations are for that to continue. I think the, uh, you know, the overall economy uh, and the the movement of the Fed uh, will also kind of 
determine how, how municipals will uh, do in here in the next several months. Yeah, all indicators are that we'll see a, a 25 base point increase um, the next time the Federal Reserve meets. Um, and in doing some research myself and some of the futures markets, um, it seems as though there might be a pivot to actually rate cuts um, by early next year. I guess the, the last topic maybe we can go over here is, you know, the municipal market is largely driven by retail investors. Um, although we did start seeing some institutional interest come back into the market as we saw coupons grow um, and certainly yields grow too. Do you see that institutional interest staying in the municipal market? Um, and considering that, you know, what conning does, I figure you might have a good viewpoint into what things like endowments and insurance companies are, are thinking right now. Yeah, I think the, um, you know, for the tax exempts, that is the overwhelmingly strong retail uh, market. It's different for taxables. Taxables more institutional. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, ever since the 2017 tax, corporate tax change, the rate of the corporate, since 2017, when they changed the corporate tax rate uh, to lowered it to 21% from 35%, that took a fair amount of steam out of institutions buying uh, tax exempts. You know, certainly there's been anomalies in the marketplace where ratios have increased um, and it has become a, a track. It has become or signaled as being more attractive for an institutional buyer, um, not only on a taxable equivalent basis, but on a crossover basis as well. But right now with the ratios where they stand um, and taxable equivalent spreads where they stand, it's not attractive for a regular rate paying corporate entity compared to taxable bonds. Understood. Okay. Well, listen, Michael, I greatly appreciate your time. Um, we, we, we packed a lot in and what was very cogent interview. Um, and as always, your expertise is much appreciated. And I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Great. Thank you very much, Seth. For in-court coverage, we took a look at SVB Financial Group, BabBath and Beyond, Voyager Digital, National Cine Media, Serta Simmons Betting, AMC Entertainment Holdings, and Puerto Rico. BabBath and Beyond filed for Chapter 11 in the U.S. Bankruptcy Court for the District of New Jersey this week, announcing that it will conduct closing sales while marketing assets for potential Section 363 sale or sales. At the first day hearing, BabBath and Beyond got the green light for its bidding and store closing procedures and $240 million in interim debt financing, including $40 million in new money and a $200 million rollup of pre-petition file of secured obligations. Binance U.S. terminated its agreement to purchase Voyager's platform and customer accounts this week, setting the hostile and regulatory climate in the U.S. Judge Michael Wiles also granted Voyager's request for flexibility in making planned distributions, including by not making distributions tied to certain coins targeted by the SEC as potential securities. At SVB Financial Group's second-day hearing, the bankruptcy court required the FDIC to identify the legal authority for its decision to sweep and hold approximately $2 billion of SVBFG's cash by next week. In addition, the debtor filed a motion for approval of bidding procedures for its non-debtor securities business, proposing a bid deadline and sale hearing in late May. The Federal Reserve Board also issued a report last week on four takeaways on the cause of the bank's failure. The U.S. Trustee trustee appointed an official creditors committee in the National Cine Media case, triggering an unusual death trap for unsecured creditors under the RSA. After the appointment, the debtor then filed a plan combining approximately $230 million in outstanding unsecured notes and GUCs into one class that would share in only $250,000 of cash. Under the RSA, if no UCC had been appointed, 
Unsecured creditors would have been slated to receive 5% warrants on account of their claims. White and Case is counsel to the committee. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit has agreed to review Judge David Jones's summary judgment decision in the Soto Simmons up-tier exchange litigation, which concluded that the transaction was a permitted open market purchase under the 2016 credit agreement. The Fifth Circuit declined the request of lenders excluded from the exchange to expedite the appeal and issued a ruling before Soto's confirmation hearing on May 15th. Judge Laura Taylor Swain extended the mediation termination date in the Puerto Rico Electric Power Authority Title III case by three months through July 28th. The judge said she was puzzled by a lack of mediation activity since her March summary judgment ruling in the PREPA lien litigation and stated that she will consider dismissing the case if PREPA's current plan of adjustment cannot be confirmed. A stipulation filed on Thursday provided more detail on the AMC common shareholder class action plaintiff's proposed settlement of their securities claims against the company and its directors. If approved, the deal would allow the company to proceed with conversion of AMC preferred equity units or APEs to common stock. In exchange, existing shareholders would receive one share of common stock for every 7.5 shares owned the day before the conversion after accounting for a 1 to 10 reverse stock split. First Republic, Tico Star Holdings, Lanet, Packer Sanitation Services, Securus Technologies, and Roden Fields round out this week's list of potential restructurings. First Republic said in its first quarter earnings release that as a result of recent events, the bank is taking actions to strengthen its business and restructure its balance sheet. Adding these actions include efforts to increase insured deposits, reduce borrowings from the Federal Reserve Bank, and decrease loan balances to correspond with the reduced reliance on uninsured deposits. The bank noted that in addition to these actions, the bank is pursuing strategic options to expedite its progress while reinforcing its capital position. In addition to potential risk of a further run on deposits at First Republic and the potential negative impact to equity value to the extent assets experience further markdowns, Rear estimates that the bank will likely burn cash on a go-forward basis. Tico Star Holdings has been in confidential negotiations with certain lenders about a potential balance sheet transaction ahead of the May 2024 maturity of its first lien term loan. The company's interest rate swap agreement regarding a portion of its first lien term loan expired in June 22 and has resulted in higher interest expenses. The company also has second lien term loan due in November 2024. The company doing business as Tico Met is advised by Ropes & Gray. Lanet is exploring a Chapter 11 filing, including potential asset sales. The company said earlier this month that it expects to be able to reach an agreement with its key secured creditors in the near term on a potential recapitalization or restructuring. Lanet skipped interest payments due this month on three tranches of debt. The General Pharmaceutical Company has been battling stiff competition across its product offerings for years, which put pressure on the top line as well as profitability. The price of Packer Sanitation Services Inc.'s term loan has plunged more than 40 points in less than two weeks after the provider of contract sanitation services to the food processing industry lost major contracts following a Labor Department investigation that found that the company employed children in hazardous jobs and had them working overnight shifts. Lenders to the $1.24 billion L plus 325 BIPs term loan due 2028 are concerned about the lack of communication during the turmoil and the possibility of more contract terminations. Securus Technologies disclosed last week that its majority owners committed $60 million of additional capital to support the business and that it is seeking a refinancing of its near-term debt maturities. Dallas-based provider of telecom services to incarcerated people told investors that it expects to refinance its outstanding debt this year. Securus has a revolving credit facility due August 2024, a first lien term loan due November 24, and a second lien term loan due 2025. Roden Fields has received consent from substantially all lenders on its proposed non-pro-rata up-tiering debt exchange, all but ruling out the possibility of a minority lender group challenging the transaction according to sources. 
The closing of the multi-level marketing cosmetics company's liability management exercise marks a new chapter for so-called creditor-on-creditor violence. It breaks away from the pattern of five similar previous deals, namely Serta Simmons, Board Riders, Trimark, Incora, and Mitel, where minority lenders brought lawsuits to protect their rights. The Ronin deal also shows innovation in liability management technology and how dealmakers figure out mixing carrots and sticks to minimize holdout risk and encourage participation. AT&T CEO John Stanky was asked on the company's first quarter earnings call about a potential tie-up between Dish and DirecTV. Although DirecTV's financial information is private, AT&T's first quarter earnings imply that DirecTV distributed $1.3 billion in total first quarter dividends. Following DirecTV's paydown of TPG's $1.8 million in senior preferred units in 2021, AT&T is entitled to all the DirecTV dividend distributions until its junior preferred units and common catch-up interests are fully satisfied. Reorg estimates that DirecTV had approximately $1.1 billion of AT&T-held common catch-up interest, outstanding as of March 31st. Cumulus Media reported first quarter 2023 net revenue of $205.7 million, down 11.4% year-over-year, driven by declines in network and spot revenue. The company reported adjusted EBITDA of $10.3 million in the first quarter, down 66.9% from the prior year. CEO Mary Berner said in the company's earnings release that the impact of the considerable macro-driven weakness in the national advertising market, as well as the unfavorable prior year political and win-BET comparisons, ultimately resulted in total revenue and adjusted EBITDA declines. On a call to discuss first quarter results, office properties management expressed caution that the slow return to the office post-COVID-19, widening credit spreads, and a challenging financing market may lead to lower cash flows and office valuations. The company gave guidance for normalized quarterly funds from operations of $1.07 to $1.09 per share for the second quarter, compared with $1.09 per share in the first quarter. The company reported revenue of $132.4 million compared with $147.4 million in the prior year period, or down 10.2%. company reported net operating income, or NOI, was $83.8 million compared with $96.5 million in the prior year period. Top Red Stories this week included... Bank Street Court denies request to stay BASB automatic stay violation proceedings pending resolution of our Capital Sharia Safe Harbor appeal. Court grants Walmart motion to dismiss Tennessee Consumer Protection Law acetaminophen claims. Tennessee product liability law claims survive. Updates on Western Digital, Salem Media Group, Ashland, Unity Group, Clarios, Lindelblad Expeditions, Altis, USA Primary Review, Belfort Talent, Titan Acquisition, Private Loan Review. Primary Market Retains Pulse moves down the rating spectrum. And now here's Kate Thomas from New York with the week ahead. Hi, this is Kate Thomas, and here are some highlights of a theatrical week ahead. Starting us off on Tuesday, the Cineworld Group debtors are scheduled to be in court for approval of their financing commitment and backstop agreements in connection with their proposed plan, which contemplates $1.46 billion in first lien exit financing and the potential for a $200 million exit revolver. The last time we discussed Cineworld on this segment, there were reports that Jefferies was exploring an alternative exit financing package with an ad hoc group of lenders. Those reports turned out to be correct, as the ad hoc group of non-RSA secured lenders subsequently revealed an alternative financing package with Jefferies as an agent in a blistering objection to the debtor's proposal. The financing commitment and backstop agreements were on the calendar two weeks ago, but Judge Marvin Isker postponed the hearing to allow stakeholders to consider the, quote, 
total package, unquote, of financing offered by the competing creditor groups. Jumping over to Thursday, the FTX group debtors have a hearing to approve the proposed sale of their futures and options exchange, Ledger X, to M7 Holdings, an affiliate of Miami International Holdings. The debtors say they are expecting total proceeds of $50 million from the proposed sale, including the purchase price of $35 million in cash and certain cash distributions from Ledger X. Next up, the National Cinemedia debtors are scheduled to have their second day hearing on Thursday, where they will be seeking final approval of their cash collateral motion to fund ordinary business operations and pay administrative expenses of the Chapter 11 case. Holders of a majority of the debtors' pre-petition secured debt have agreed to the consensual use of cash collateral in exchange for replacement liens and super-priority administrative claims, among other things. The debtors filed a proposed plan and disclosure statement last week targeting a June 23rd combined confirmation and disclosure statement approval hearing. But that's not all. National Cinemedia will have an encore performance on Thursday when it appears at a status conference with Cineworld regarding their dispute over their exhibitor services agreement. National Cinemedia filed a complaint against Cineworld debtor Regal Cinemas last October, seeking to enforce its asserted exclusivity and non-competition rights under the ESA. However, at a status conference two weeks ago, the parties told Judge Marvin Isker, who is presiding over the Cineworld Chapter 11, that they would go to mediation and selected Judge Christopher Lopez as their mediator. Now, I will take a bow, as this is my cue to send it back to you, David. Have a great week. Thank you again for tuning in to the Rear Primary Review and our weekly review. Find all our podcasts on the Rear.com webinars and podcast page, as well as Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, and Amazon. Hope your families are healthy and safe. Have a great weekend, and see you next Monday.